Hello, Real Nerds listeners. We have some exciting interviews lined up from Denver Comic-Con 2014. Sit back, crack open a comic book, and enjoy our sweet, sweet voices. Enjoy. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast at Denver Comic-Con 2014. I'm Ryan, James, fuck Brad. We're, we're with the awesome George's Junty for the third year in a row at third 9 year. o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. Welcome back, George's. Thanks, Thank buddy. You. I, I forsook my father for you guys, so I just want you to know oh, how really? you are. Oh, no, not really. I was going to say. I do, I do it every year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Every year, like Sunday comes around, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Father's Day. Damn, uh, I'm the worst. I know. It's actually, it was funny. Me and Brad were talking as we were driving here. We were saying, yeah, you know, we're the guys. It's like, oh, sorry, Dad. <laughs> we're going to a Comic-Con. <laughs> Thanks. I'm the kind of guy who goes, who's my dad again? I can't remember. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I think. Uh, but uh, welcome back, sir. We appreciate you. you coming on the show again. Oh, this is a good show. You, you've it's been busy good. since the last time we talked to you. I have stayed busy. That's, that's yeah. always a good thing. That is. Um, of course, you're so well known for your Buffy. Yes. But you stopped that. And um, I'll talk about your big project in a second. But I didn't know you until I actually picked up the cover. You also did... The one shot of Joker's daughter. I did a one shot of Joker's daughter. Yeah, and uh, they they actually had another special, and I did the cover of that. So, oh, very cool. So, how did that come about? Um, <laughs> as much as that character has taken off, really, when it started, it was one of those. I had some time, I think, in between Buffy, or I can't remember now if it was at the end of Buffy. But uh, I, I have a friend, uh, an editor friend, who used to be the editor actually over at a. DC was the super or, uh, Batman editor, Mike Martz, and I just sort of called him up and said, "Hey, I've got a got a couple of months. Do you have anything?" And he's like, "Oh my God, yeah, we have these um, villain books we're going to be putting out. Um, if if you want, I can get you one because we're really looking for people to do it." And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And quite by chance, I got sent. Maybe they were thinking, "Well, he does Buffy. Let's give him a woman villain mm-hmm. to do." But Quite by chance, I just ended up with uh, Joker's Daughter. And I think that was the book that DC thought was going to be probably in the low percentile. And it just took off. And I don't think they were even prepared for how much it took off. Yeah, you know, because it's interesting because now she's part of, I think, the Suicide Squad. Is she? I don't really know her future history Yeah, because I think I saw her on the cover of it. Oh, okay. And uh, I just want to bring up, because it's such an interesting book for you, because... I know you did superheroes a little bit earlier in your career. Yes. And you kind of went back <laughs> to it's, – it's, it's an unusual book because it's kind of dark, but it has a weird, sicked, like, sense of humor to yes, it. Yes, um, very much. So what were the challenges of doing that? Is it because it's, you're taking Joker's daughter – and it, Joker's so iconic, and you have to make it your own. And uh, Well, there's still some speculation as to what that title actually means. Yeah. So I was doing it going, yeah, well, so like everybody, this is, this is the, the progeny of the Joker. And, and there were a few flashbacks in there, and they, they wouldn't tell me yes or no. But just to be on the safe side, it's funny. When I did the flashbacks and she's fighting with her parents, I kind of made it a little similar to the Joker in The Killing Joke, uh, Brian Boland's take, and uh, saying, well, if this ever does come about that supposedly he had a kid at some point and this is her, you can at least review this and go, oh, okay, well, that's kind of what he looked like. So um, it was... uh, It wasn't anything challenging per se, uh, because funny enough, she's still not in a costume. Mm -hmm. She's in a trench coat and skirt and things like that, so it's not really a leotard type of a thing. So there wasn't so much a challenge. I think with that, though, given the situation, because it all takes place underground, I I really thought more of in terms of blacks, like how to really 
make things darker or shadows and things like that. And apparently there there is no natural light, but there is a uh, the phosphorescent, uh, the, the luminescent, uh, I can't remember what those plants are that are just, they, they light bioluminescent? up. Bioluminescent. Bioluminescent, yeah. yeah. And um, we're supposed to sort of take away from that that Poison Ivy might have had something to do with this little community that she's uh, been living in. So That's very cool. And yeah. uh, do you enjoy drawing um, books like that? Because, and, and, you know, one of the things that I thought maybe why they chose you is uh, you draw women so beautifully, <laughs> but you don't make them like the super... Hypersexualized. Yeah, the hypersexualized. The Thank you, yes. <laughs> Because I think that was so important for that character. Yeah. Because um, I like Harley Quinn a lot, but one of my problems with her recently is they're like, oh, we're going to make her super sexy. Oh, and, uh, you I know, thought she was super sexy. She is. But, you know, like now she it's has. A, it's the same problem you have with like I, that I always have with uh, with reading Power Girl, right? Where like mm -hmm. I, I really liked uh, reading Power Girl before the New 52, right. but I really hated all the covers. And I would hide the covers between my other <laughs> books because I was like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, you know, but isn't that character? By default, sort of gratuitous. Yes, but it's how the artist portrays it and how they how they sort of like uh, accentuate those gratuitous. Of, you know, like Power Girl was a book that was really about like how she balanced uh, being a superhero and like running this company and sort mm -hmm. of that thing. And that was what was interesting to me, not necessarily the fact that she had a cleavage window. Mm -hmm. And all the covers are about the cleavage window. Right. Right. Um, and you don't tend to do that, and it's really cool. Like it's it's one of those things that I think is is unfortunately kind of rare. Well, I guess I've never drawn a, a character with a double D size. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to stay more in the A and B range. Yeah, <laughs> which is funny because yeah, Joker's daughter, they had uh, model sheets obviously for all the villains, and she. I went along the model sheets, and funny enough, the cover that I didn't do is nothing like the model sheet, and all these other appearances that I've seen her in is nothing like the model sheet, but she is emaciated, and, and mm. I drew her very skinny intentionally, because that's what the model sheets were, and I thought that's what everybody was going to go from, but you're right, I've seen quite a few images of this girl, who you know is scarred and, and very unkept, pretty much, yeah. being very sexy, yeah, in a, in a weird way, that does seem like a, I don't know, it's like it's it's like putting a, a corpse in a bikini or something, you know? It's yeah. like you, you don't really want to get to that point with <laughs> yeah. it. Mm. It just feels like there is some, you know, um, uh, ill-defined force that sort of pushes things in the industry in that direction. Well, yeah, um, they're even when fanboys. Well, yeah, <laughs> okay, all right, all right, then you can define it, sure. Um, and it's just sort of, it can be frustrating sometimes because there, yes. uh, a book will come along where, and it's, it's what was so always so great about Buffy that you you know, avoided that to... Well, to I, I had it from on high. Right. Uh, Joss, what the early conversations we did have about Buffy, because, again, I knew nothing about Buffy, and I really wanted to get his take on it, because he's like, no, 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 you do what you do. And I'm like, honestly, I'm not as familiar. I would love to do what you love about Buffy and mm. accentuate that. And he's like, well, yeah, she's not a superhero in the sense that she's she doesn't have cleavage or double Ds or anything like that. Draw her as plain a woman as you can... Obviously, she's beautiful in her own way and what she does, but she is in no way a sexist um, or a very, I don't know, misogynistic-looking girl drawn by men. Right. So keep that in mind is what he said. And, yeah, I personally feel that way. I don't, I've never thought the sexiness came from the, the cleavage or, or whatever. You know, when I was growing up, I, I always thought Kitty Pride was really cute, you know, and she was a little, at that time, 15-year-old, you know, with no breasts, or Rogue at the time was an 18-year-old, and she was very svelte, you know. 
So all the characters I really liked, they, they weren't, by definition, this buxom or the, the, the idea of what, I guess, a fanboy thinks a girl is. <laughs> but I think that's yeah. part of your talent, though, because uh, last year I had you draw me a Gwen Stacy, mm. and it's just something about how you draw how they look at you. It's like, this is, uh, it's just beautiful. And uh, even the little Buffy sketch you did for me this this year, I'm like, oh, my God. I just sit up next to my my bed, and my wife's like, why do you put it there? I'm like, I just like waking up to Buffy. In the morning. <laughs> She's like, oh, really? Oh, well, yeah. Why don't you wake up to Buffy on the couch then, yeah. huh? And I say, I will. You fanboy. Oh, I don't want to mess up my picture. That's yeah. why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you also moved along to another huge Joss Whedon project. Yes. Yeah, last, um, last year you revealed to us that you weren't going to stay on for, for 10. I did, because okay, we I, like, I, I totally forget what I say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were disappointed, but all you could say was like, but I'm, I'm not going to go too far away. Uh, and I feel really dumb now. Like, I'm looking back. It didn't, I, like, click. Yeah, it yeah, never yeah, did. It embarrassed. really didn't. Um, were, you into, were you into Firefly before? Uh, I was. This one I was. This show I saw on television. It's funny, I was dating a girl at the time, and when this was coming out, there were two shows we had to watch, and the one I wanted to, but the one she was more on that. Um, I, I really wanted to watch Firefly because I, you know, I'm, let's be real, it's Han Solo, you know, that yeah. character. And when it came out, that's pretty much what I saw. And at the time, American Idol was just taken off. Ruben mm. Studdard and uh, Clay Aikens mm -hmm. were yeah. in the, the the fight the year that uh, Firefly was on. So I've, it's funny, every time I watch Firefly, I actually think of American, uh, American <laughs> Idol because those were the two shows we definitely had to watch at the time. Um, and, yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I never thought it had a chance that they gave it. If This was a show that kind of like Battlestar Galactica, you know, you've got to give it its chance and you've got to say if, if it's low in the ratings so, so far, then let the second, third season show you that this can really, really show you that this is a good, good show. And it's, it's not a situational comedy or a situational uh, show. It's, it's really a growth show. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing uh, Serenity, I realized we know nothing about that world. We know about the Alliance. We know about the Browncoats. But that's pretty much it because when I was doing the book, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but... I was asking these questions, you know, well, okay, how many planets have been colonized? Are, are there, have they discovered new species? Are there aliens? You know, I know this is sort of a, a Western in space, but what does the canvas look like? Because this is, this opens up the potential to so much that we don't know. You know, the technology, the Alliance technology, where was all that? Is that just evolution? Or did we find another race or, or another, I don't know, a source of power or something like that so all these questions obviously in 14 episodes you're never really going to get a whole answer you know even in the movie like the operative what what is that where and if you read the comic you realize the the operative and where he is from or what he does that's sort of like the um <laughs> I hate this analogy, but in uh, Star Trek, they had the uh, Jem Hadar, mm -hmm. and then who who are above the Jem Hadar? God, I'm, oh, I'm like dating myself with my geekness. I know the one character is Wayun, but I forget. What well, they're they were yeah. the, the set of people. They were the Jem Hadar that controlled something, and then somebody controlled the Jem Hadar, the witch, the Dominion, the Dominion. Yeah. So this is like the Alliance. You realize they are above the Alliance, or. <laughs> Excuse me, not the alliance. The, uh, the operatives. They are above, right. So it's like, well, where's the hierarchy there? What's, what's that story about? And we, we never really we, we never really get it. 
unfortunately. Sorry, I'm dying. No, the, the water's a little water. warm. Sorry. Um, Why? What'd you do to it? Uh, <laughs> you don't want to know. No, uh, what, what I, uh, I'm going to flatter you here, George, is you've been in the industry a long time, and I see growth in your art continuously. I hope. And uh, Serenity seems like a really, really hard book to illustrate. And the, it, it's beautiful. I mean, the ships, mm. um, the space. Um, how do you fill in the space and make it interesting to the eye when it's like blackness and a ship uh, because it, it, it's a great looking book and I, I was wondering if it really challenged you and yeah the the serenity book was so different from buffy hmm. and and rightly so and and that's exactly what i wanted when i got off of buffy because i did buffy for six years but man it was hard it was so serious there were times i was telling the editor scott alley i don't know if i can do this i seriously i was saying maybe you should get somebody else because I honestly don't know if I can do this and it wasn't anything in particular like why can't you draw ships or can't you draw scenery or things like that it was just so much of a demand I don't know it was weird I couldn't I couldn't tell you exactly why but it was it was a weird maybe I'm going a little far with this but it was a weird dark night of the soul type of a thing mm. going on that book because it took so much out of me in a weird way when I first got it I was like oh man it's only six issues well, you know, everybody's going to be like, oh, well, why couldn't it be longer? And then I'm halfway through. I'm like, thank God, this is only six issues. I don't think I could do anymore. And it's nothing against the writing or the subject matter. I loved it all. Zach Wheaton was amazing to be with as a collaborator, but it just felt really, really hard. And yeah, I do think I did my best work. And maybe that's a subtle key of evolution when it does feel like it's a little harder you, you actually go to that next level because not to say that any of the Buffy stuff I was slacking on, but I had that. I had that cold. It's, it's almost like doing a free throw shot from the same point every time and you make the basket and then you challenge yourself by going to another area and trying to make that basket. I think that's what serenity was for me. It was very challenging just because I was at a different place. And funny enough, I had my dream team. This is this book. I've, I have the inker and colorist. I have been dying to get on a book. I've had them maybe in one way or another at some point, but never all three of us together. And this was the dream team, in my opinion. And still, it was so hard, you know. But I'm so proud of the work that, that's come out. So I, it's, it's really unexplainable because I, I can't tell you why it was so hard. Was the, uh, was the pressure any different coming on to, to Firefly, like from the fan base and, and just knowing that, yeah, with Buffy, at least we got seven seasons, and yeah. that story was told, and you were just going to add to it. Whereas this was one where, like, people people still lament the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, did did that change the way that you you know or add to the pressure for creating well, that book? The beauty of comics, and as I'm sure as you guys know, you know you do it months in advance. Mm -hmm. So while you may know somebody's doing something, you never really see much. You never really know further than maybe a few preview pages or things like that and I do remember they they had me do that one page as a preview so I had to get that done ahead of time but essentially no I didn't really have any feedback because it was all done by the time it came out and what I'm hearing now is that that people love it and I'm sure you know I, I would never say everything's a hundred percent I'm sure there are people who hate it or hate my work or hate the way it's written or, or whatever but I've really received a lot of good reviews and I think justly so not so much for my work, but Zach Whedon uh, really found the voice. I mean, this guy, for not having written any of the TV episodes, he's done a few of the comic books, 
But obviously, and bring, just being the brother of somebody doesn't bequeath you with this talent. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Zach just, not that I'll say he came out of nowhere because he has been writing for a while, but he definitely took the Serenity world and just made it his own because the, 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 the tone is so there. And when I read the script, and of course, that's all I have. I have paper and words on a paper, and that's where I get my inspiration from. His stuff was so, so good. So I, it, was, it was difficult and not necessarily critical because nobody had seen it yet, but it, I knew it was going to be good at the very least because the scripts were good. And I think you're right, too, because uh, one of my fears uh, going into the comic was um, with a voice, would it have the same tone? Right. And as soon as you open it and your art pops off the page and immediately you're transported into that world, and it... it it seems like you. I, I read the issues really fast because the pacing <laughs> really? is so good and the writing is so good uh-huh. and everything just pops off. Uh-huh. And I'd read it. I'm like, oh, man, I now have to wait one more month. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed. As, as a fan, I totally appreciate that. And I agree with you. But I'm amazed when I, I do get people coming up saying, because you say, oh, so have you picked up the new series? And they're like, no, I'm going to wait for the trade. I'm like, wow, you can actually do that? You can wait <laughs> the I six can't. months and then the two or three months you're going to yeah. wait for the collection. And I'm like, I, I couldn't do that. Yeah, if it's something that I'm so passionate about, i got to pick it up every month. Me too. And, and when at my comic store, I demand your covers. Oh. <laughs> I do. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I mean, the other covers are beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, De Los Santos yeah. is yeah. such a great artist. But I'm like, and... right, give me the John G. covers. I don't want these ones. <laughs> I was, uh, this is re- really too far, but like, I, was, I was double buying the books for a while for Buffy. Because um, I was like, it was the only way I could get them to give me both covers. Oh, was to get really? oh, both I'm of sorry. them. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. I did it gladly. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. no, and with six issues, though, I'm really proud of two because I'm, I'm old school. I'm one of those. The covers should represent. They should be the movie poster yeah. of the interior. And I was really trying to make the covers come across that way. And I think I only succeeded in two of the covers. Um, and the, the rest, because I really it was a learning curve. At least with Buffy, I had six years mm-hmm. to really go, look, I can draw Buffy in my sleep now. Mm-hmm. With these characters... I never felt I really got them entirely, like until issue five. And I'm like, oh, this is how you do it. Oh, cool. There's only one more issue. So, <laughs> boy, that last issue is going to look good. But all through, I never felt like I got Inara down. Kaylee always was. I think uh, River, I thought, was pretty good. And Mal and uh, Jane and um, uh, who else is on there? Um, wow, I'm blanking out. Who else? Oh, Simon. Yeah. Uh, which sadly is the forgettable character of Serenity. <laughs> um, I think I really got them early on, but the girls were so hard. And Inara, I think I would, it's funny because of her profession, she's this beautiful woman who, you know, just wiles men and, and whatever. And I was intimidated by that. I'm like, I have to draw this beautiful woman. And I'm intimidated because if I put too many lines, she's going to look ugly or <laughs> it's not going to do her justice. So I was very intimidated by Inara. Huh. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, All right. Well, thank you for coming. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I always just don't want to step on uh, people's <laughs> questions because I feel like sometimes I just keep on asking questions. Like, I don't care about these guys. No, I just got surprised by that. I wasn't expecting an R to be that difficult. But I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, her character is the only character that really changes physically in mm-hmm. the series because mm-hmm. I, no, I don't want to spoil anything. And 
Well, at this point, issue five is already out. So if you haven't picked it up, that's your fault. Yeah. Um, she's no longer a companion. You know, mm -hmm. her profession that she was in is no longer part of who she is anymore. She doesn't even live on her shuttle anymore. So her clothing has changed. Her mindset has changed. Um, and she's really the, the only character that has actually changed that much. I mean, maybe aside from Zoe, because she had a baby, but the baby's still early. So and I don't think she's her mindset has, has changed all that much, if, if at all. But um, Inara definitely is sort of a different character coming to her. So when you draw, how do you make things... So you, you have all the, the characters on there, and then the backgrounds have lots going on. Yeah. But how do you make <laughs> it so... damn ship! Yeah. <laughs> but how do you make it so it's not distracting as an artist? Um, because, I mean, your characters always pop off. And I, then after I read the issue, I always go back and look at the details in the mm -hmm. background. And I think that'd be the most boring part about being an artist. But how do you make it so it's interesting enough that it doesn't distract from the characters that you're trying, that are actually in the scenes? You know, it's funny you say that's the most boring part of it because a lot of novice artists that I see coming up or wanting to do comics coming in, the biggest criticism I would have about them is that they don't really do backgrounds. And I can tell it's because they're it, either it's too much or they're bored that their interest is in the characters and what they're doing and they're not so interested in the setting uh, the stage as to where those characters are which of course is paramount you got to have like here we are you know people know where we are because you can look at the background and see it you have to establish that and make that part and of course as everybody will argue the ship is actually like the seventh or eighth character depending on who's alive or dead at the point at time um, and that is 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 important I, I knew i couldn't skimp mainly because of that because of the shipping another character and the fact that people reading this book will know where everybody is when you draw whatever it is you're drawing so if i draw a wooden table stretched across with a little lamp in the middle that's all i need to draw but you'll know exactly where they are or mm -hmm. if i you know draw a cockpit or ship or you know, a, an engine or something like that. You'll know where they are. So I had to be really accurate with the settings as to how they apply to what they were doing. Um, in terms of making that boring or interesting, what I did with Serenity more than anything, I used the background more often than not as a sense of composition. So when we are in, a, let's say the cockpit, because they were there a lot, um, like... If they're in the cockpit, you know what the cockpit looks like. There are the two chairs. There's the four windows, you could argue. Maybe the, the next two down on the bottom, but they never really come into play. I would choose my light source, and a lot of the times it would be through the window. There would be light coming through. So I would sort of give it a shadow to the background. And wherever that shadow was light, I would draw the background. Wherever it was dark, of course, it would be a shadow that was either dark or maybe a little lights here and there. So I tried to make it interesting by giving myself a sense of composition as to where the light was coming through because depending on where you are on that ship, there are very specific light sources. And as a rule, the ship is very dark because when you go watch the TV and the, the, the movie, and I think Joss played with light a lot better in the film, you notice there's all this natural light coming in or wherever an outside source of light could come in, that's what you saw. But the ship was essentially dark. It was almost like you're on a submarine or something. You know, it's very claustrophobic and very dark, and that's how I tried to keep it. And so how do you, how do you draw those 
see, how do you remember all that stuff? Do you have like schematics of the ship, or do you just have a great memory and you can now, remember if, from different shots where the stuff is at? And again, this is where you have artists in this business. You can't. You can pay somebody for their talent. You can't pay somebody for their uh, interest. If you're not interested in something, but you're a great artist and say, hey, I want to hire you to do this. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's a Zeppelin and, and I want to do this story about this little kid who steals it and he flies all around the world. Somebody who's like, all right, I'll give you because I'm, a, I'm an accomplished artist. I'll give you what you want. But somebody who's not really interested in the subject matter may not see the little nuances of a Zeppelin or a Goodyear blimp, if you, if you want. Um, and they'll just give you a generic version, more or less, unless you have a reference. And then, funny enough, they'll just keep referring to that reference. And you'll notice, well, you've only looked at this one picture the whole time because that's all I'm seeing. You, you can't really pay him for his enthusiasm. I am enthusiastic about the subject matter. So I... And I didn't get paid anymore for it, but I went out and got um, that website, MQ or something, that sells a lot of Serenity toys. They sell, like, the ship, oh. and they actually have a schematic of, uh, of the Serenity ship. Yeah. I went out and bought that just to say, well, I should probably use this. It's <laughs> going to be necessary. And um, I went through the Googled websites and whatnot and just downloaded a lot of reference and pictures and things and, and tried to map it out as to where we're going and, and how yeah. things are. Wow. So that was that was my enthusiasm coming into the book that had nothing to do with what I was getting paid for necessarily. And the same with Buffy. I was using my enthusiasm for Buffy to research all these little things that nobody ever said, uh, hey, I need you to research that. You know, it was all very generic. Did you oh sorry. Did you ever get the, the little frozen Han Solo into the kitchen? Uh, Do you know about that in Serenity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where on, is it? on the set, there's a there's a little like um, you know uh, what? It's not kryptonite. Um, what do they call carbonite? it? Carbonite Han yeah. Solo sitting on one of the kitchen counters. There in is. The set. Yep. No, where in the kitchen though? Uh, I think. Shoot, I can't remember. I can find you the photo and I can email. Oh, it to okay. Because yeah, yeah, I went over that damn kitchen back and forth. <laughs> it's funny. The hardest part of the kitchen was that you never saw. If you're always looking at it, you never saw the other side of the wall. You might have seen it yeah. one or two times. But you really never saw it. In the film, you, you saw it a little more. But, of course, the film sort of changed there a lot full of sets, the, what yeah. the ship looked like. And I was always like, oh, man, this is the hardest part because, again, yeah, you don't want to get boring and say I'm going to shoot it at the same shot every time. So I really tried to put my camera around that mess hall. And I'm going, wow, you never see this other side. <laughs> God. It's funny because, you know, you say you have to care, and I always bring this one up, and that's why I, I pay attention to backgrounds after the fact, mm -hmm. is because uh, in the mid-'90s, Rob Liefeld drew Captain America, mm -hmm. and there's this one picture where Captain America is as tall as a lamppost, <laughs> and it drove me crazy. And to me, he's one of those artists that just like, eh, I don't really care. All, all my noses look the same. All my feet are too small, and I don't know how he got so big. So I'm always fascinated, and I always ask artists, um, you know, the backgrounds mm -hmm. because, you know, furniture has to be the right size. And when you change perspectives, it has to stay the same size. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's something you do very well on this book because oh, yeah. uh, you do so many cinematic shots and then you go in for the close yeah. close ups and you still see the little details. Well, that's how I do comics, kind of like Brian Hitch and a bunch of other guys. You know, they really make comics like they're doing films, like they're directing films. And, and again, you can't really. Uh, with the Rob Layfield, I totally agree with you, and we could argue about that all day, I'm <laughs> sure. And he's one of those guys, though, he's successful. 
You know, so he could argue, fine, you can say what you want. I'm laughing all the way to the bank. Mm. But with him, I think he's one of those right to the page guys. Mm -hmm. He's those guys who's like, okay, Captain America, page one. He just starts drawing on that page. I'm one of those guys. I'll do layouts. I will set it up. I will do my perspective. I pretty much do pre-production to set up that shot of Captain America near the lamppost. So I know just how big that lamppost is against him or what else is in that area. So I'm never surprised by where my characters are. And by doing sort of a setup, you can move your camera wherever you want and you know exactly where everything is. And would that be advice you give other artists too? Because yeah, wholeheartedly. I mean, yeah. I mean, in your books too, I you always have the right height of characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they never change and it's all consistent. And I think that's what a lot of... Um, these people, not, I'm not going to diss anybody here, but like I think they might be really good at doing like pinup stuff. Right. But when you're doing composition and laying it out, right. you have to be able to keep everybody consistent. You do, and there is there. It's a conscious effort, and it is very easy to get lazy and just go ah, generic, generic, generic. And even more than that is how different characters sit and stand and and just are. You know, you guys here, you guys are a cast of characters. You know, and if I were to draw you guys, it would be very different because you guys are all kind of, you know, in your own way doing what you do. And that's what uh, most of the characters, you know, somebody like River is going to stand just and just standing like here. If you told somebody to stand up. You told River to stand up and you tell Jane to stand up. They're going to stand up in two very different ways because of their background. You know, you could say River's crazy, so she's maybe a little off kilter. Jane is very cocksure of himself. He's, he's the bull in the china shop. He's going to stand up in a very different way. And, again, they don't pay me more to do that, but that is my enthusiasm going in there and making that conscious effort. How would this be? You know, there were a couple times because, of course, Mal is the star of the book where I'm going, well, it would be boring just to have him standing there at his arms at his side. Mal doesn't really do that. Or if he does, he'll do it once, but, you know, he'll fold his arms or he'll have his hands resting on his gun belt or little things like that where in watching the episodes or the movie or whatever, you, you sort of get a feel for how that character is and you want to embody that character as an artist and say this is how he would come across hypothetically. Um... And, I, again, I think it, it shows on the, the finished page, but it's something that really is, more often than not, I want to say, the artist's responsibility. Because a lot of artists say, well, I got the script, and I did everything they wanted me to do on that script. Yes and no. You know, a lot of the scripts are not going to go, Mal stands up, he puts his hand on his gun belt very gingerly, just like the Mal we would do in episode 24 or whatever. That would be the longest script in the world if a writer had to pinpoint every little nuance of whatever's going on. And quite frankly, I don't think a writer would like to do that because they're there to write a story. They're not there to write a textbook of whatever's going on. As an artist, you should em embrace that freedom and say, oh, cool. Now, if they're all sitting in the, uh, in the uh, lunchroom, how are they sitting? Where are they sitting? What are they sitting? You know, maybe I had, um, I had Jane whittling with his knife and that wasn't in the script at some point or you know uh, river playing with her hair a little bit because you know she's there's not everything is all there in her head you know so you really start to get into these characters and i think if you're responsible enough that comes through and do you think that's why you're so successful at licensed uh, pr uh properties because uh, i mean you're absolutely right your faith stands different than Buffy. Exactly. Totally true. And and I think that's why your art is so good in these situations 
is because you do play with that stuff. And it, it's so funny you say that because I noticed that in the characters you draw. And um, do you think that's why you're successful at the, the weed and stuff and things like that? No, I've ex ascended uh, as far as I have because of the great and powerful Joss. So <laughs> I owe all credit to Joss. Um, he's, and I guess in a weird way, he's, he would probably say the same thing. He's like, well, that's why I want you, because mm -hmm. you make Faith stand differently than Buffy. That you can tell the difference. You may not have done the face dead on, but... From far away, I can actually tell who's who, even though I can't see the features on their faces. Mm -hmm. And you that, still keep it your style, though. That's what I love about it. It's yeah, it's Buffy and Faith, but it's still your style. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you're super successful too at drawing it. And that's why your pages pop so much to me. Yeah, I'm oh, everybody. Every time somebody uses that word style, I'm always sort of taken aback because I don't know what my style is. But I totally mm. agree with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I love art. I love, also love other artists. You know, and I, will, I could probably I'm that good that I can look at other artists that I admire and tell you where they came from. You know, like Bernie Wrightson was influenced by uh, Frank Frazetta or uh, Brian Hitch was influenced by Alan Davis. You know, you can see that genesis in their work certainly in their early work. And um, I don't see it in mine. And I will hmm. tell you outright, I mean, John Byrne, I was such a John Byrne fanatic growing up. Um, his stuff heavily influenced. Frank Miller heavily influenced. Uh, Walt Simonson heavily. George Perez heavily influenced me. I can't see any of their work in my uh, in what I do. That's because you're such an iconic artist. Yeah, no, I'm like I'm so unique. There is no comparison. <laughs> so much smoke. Yeah, so not how the case. are you able to put out a book monthly and uh, because you have so much going on and then someone like a Brian Hitch struggles with it and you, you you're your way you do it is so meticulous. Mm. How do you? How are you able to put that out? How many hours a day do you draw? Well, one very simple reason: Brian Hitch is a lot better than me, so uh, well, he goes. That, that's debatable. Whatever he does, he goes off and he does it, and it's amazing. No, he's and, a great artist. I'm. I'm just curious. Um, I mean, I, I, I understand, and at the end of the day, and this is where you you get the difference between commerce and art. At the end of the day, and I hate to say this because I, I. I embrace the creativity, but at the end of the day, the editor, the person who's in charge of you, who gives you jobs, he would rather it get done than it be good. If push comes mm. to shove, mm. that's what he would favor because, of course, he has to print this thing. He doesn't want there to be 22 pages of blank space every month. So they want it to be good, and you as an artist want it to be good. But I, I understand that this also has to come out. So there is only a certain amount of time I can put in something, in a page or, or whatever. Uh, you try to space that out. Uh, in in uh, Serenity, I had a couple of double-page spreads, which I knew were going to take more time. So I tried to find that time in other pages that I could maybe allocate to this double page that wouldn't be so much on a single page. And when you do your pre-production, as an artist, I lay out everything. It's like doing a movie. You know, you lay out everything. You sort of see what are, where you're going to film. I even do some of the pages that are all in the same scene but are on different pages i'll do them all at once because i have all the reference you know mm. if everything is something is happening in the cockpit on issue uh, one through three pages nine through ten and maybe 20 through 22 i'll do all those pages together because mm. i've got all of the reference right then and there just as a movie you know we've got this set let's film all of the sequences we have and i, I will do that to hopefully save time so I don't have to go back and get that reference again. Or, wait a minute, what did that ship look like? Or where did that, you know, all of that stuff. So in my pre-production, I try to make it as easy as possible 
to give me as much time as possible to do the drawing as best I can. So a very boring answer to a no, no, <laughs> I'm, question. I'm no, totally it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just, it's so cool. And I mean, like I said, the book is so detailed yeah. that it's, it blows my mind that it comes out on time all the yeah. time. And well, I mean, that's debatable too. This was a six issue series and I did it months in advance. Had it gone on maybe 12, 13 issues, <laughs> there might've been a fill in here and there. I have to tell you. Uh, um, so you've been doing, you've been doing Whedon for Oh, seven my. years. No, we're not that close, but yes. Well, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, are you, can you tell sorry, us Jess. at least a little bit about where you're going next or are you going to try uh, no, to get? Yeah, yeah, no, I finished Serenity and I'm doing the Future's End for DC. It's okay. their 52 week book, uh, their big event book that they have coming out every week. And uh, I'm with a, uh, about five or six other artists um, and about four writers. And it's basically one of those situations, since it comes out every week, whenever you're finished with your book, you let the editor know and they send you the next script, whatever that line may be. Mm-hmm. So I've, my first issue is issue 11, and my next issue will be issue 18. So I'll be jumping around, hmm. but it won't necessarily be each consecutive or every five issues i will jump in so and these are these all self-contained stories and well no the future's end is a huge huge story being told that encompasses all of the dcu and to my knowledge all of their characters at some point you know it's they're really really sort of like the crisis yeah. was yeah. when that came out a few years ago but this is their really really big event book and um just a little bit that i've done I can say, yeah, this stuff, uh, they're killing people and they're bringing in characters who probably weren't around in the new 52. So it is definitely something you want to look at. If you were curious about or even if you had serious criticisms about the new 52, yeah. this book is, I think, going to open your eyes a little bit. How, how different is it um, inside of the industry to go from working at Dark Horse and, and doing the books like you've been mm-hmm. doing to then going to, you know, DC and like... Yeah, the hitting books like that where it's every I, seven books. I think, again, it's also like films. You know, a lot of directors will work for Fox or uh, Paramount or, you know, Universal Studios. And it's just one of those things. It's more the subject matter. Once you get to the subject matter, to me, it's a little more challenging to do Wonder Woman or um, Grifter or another character. Because, yeah, I've been doing Buffy for so long. So it's not necessarily the company, but the uh, characters that you're called upon to do. So... That, to me, has been very challenging. I had to draw the uh, Justice League not too long ago. And, you know, yeah, for a moment there you're going, oh, man, I'm drawing the Justice League. Wow. (laughs) I don't know if I can do this. You know, it's like, dude, just put the heads on the paper and go. Come on. What are you doing? But I treated it very meticulously. And it's funny, the probably the very gaping hole in my doing superhero books now is that there really isn't any reference. I had Sarah Michelle Gellar for six years and Sarah, I loved you for six years. <laughs> but it was a great reference. I could go to her whenever I needed to draw Buffy or yeah. any of the other characters. For this, I'm like out there in the, in the cosmos. I'm like, okay, who do I base Wonder Woman on? You know, there isn't really that defined character yet or I love that Gary Frank is doing Superman like Christopher Reeves. Um, I don't know if I could get away with that necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's been challenging on that level that um, a lot of the... the, um, the a lot of the reference sheets that I get for uh, Future's End, I can see where some of the guys who did the references base them on actors. So I sort of try to follow that actor. I know... Uh, one character looks like he was based on Usher. So I'm doing that character when I see him at least. 
funny enough because I've seen him in the book subsequently, and that doesn't look like Usher at all. Um, <laughs> they're going to be like, why is George just drawing the guy like Usher in his book? So that's what I try to do, and that's been the probably the hardest part is not having that base of reference. Interesting. Do you, um, you know, over the last eight or so years as, like, the Marvel movies and all the, the movies have gotten bigger and the, the industry has gotten a whole lot more attention, um, have you seen the way that DC approaches their books and just, just a general change in, in that sort of corporate structure? Uh, change in what way, though? Uh, I'm just, I, I'm interested to know whether or not, like, there's a lot more attention, and I think that the industry is growing, and I don't know whether or not the big guys are really capitalizing on it in, yes. in a great way. Like, I the see big guys meaning DC and DC, Marvel, okay. right? Like, I see when my friends come on or start getting into comics, like, mm -hmm. it's easy for me to get them into the Dark Horse stuff, you know, to get them into Buffy if they liked Buffy, to get them into Walking Dead if they like zombies, like that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And I don't know whether or not Marvel is, Marvel or DC are, like, clearly pushing things in a way that makes the industry feel a little bit different from a creator side in order to try and capitalize on all of that attention? Or does um, it I feel will, the same way? I will admit there is an approach to making comics more cinematic because, of course, the movies have really taken off. Um, I think that's twofold, though. Because of that, I think we're doing, we're stretching things out so much in, uh, in comics, whereas... Easily, and you guys have been reading, I'm, I'm assuming, for years, you know, back in the day with, you know, with the X-Men or the Fantastic Four, uh, a lot of those issues were self-contained. All right. of this stuff was just done in one issue, and there was a ton of stuff in that particular issue. Nowadays, that one issue is probably four issues, mm -hmm. and it's more cinematic in the sense there aren't a whole lot of captions, and it's more, I guess, relied on storytelling, which is great as an artist, but... um. I personally feel, and this is no slight against writers, it has made writing a little more lazy because you're not called upon to really put this content. You know, go back and read those early Chris Claremont X-Men's or, or any of those Teen Titans, Marv Wolfman Teen Titans. There's so much there that nowadays it just seems like it's so spread out. And funny enough, no more than... Um, They've been reprinting the Miracle Man series uh, through Marvel, uh, Alan Moore's yeah. old thing. Uh, the original writers. The, yeah, the original writer. <laughs> and it's funny. Those were done in eight-page increments. And I never actually did read them when they were out. And I'm reading them now. And it's funny. I'm reading them now having colonized my way of reading to contemporary comics. And reading these comics, which are, what, they were early 80s, so maybe almost 20 years old or how, however. Um they're so good. You know, they're good because they rely so much on storytelling. Mm -hmm. Not that Maury reinvented the wheel when he started doing Miracle Man, but it's the way he was telling stories. He didn't just do a linear story and say, here, this is Miracle Man goes from here to here at the end of this issue. He's giving you this big, broad story over however many issues that he did. But he's like, this time I'm going to take it from the point of view of the fly. This time I'm going to take it from the point of view of it already happened and they're talking about it in the past. Or this time I'm going to give it to you from a character who won't show up for a couple of pages and he's going to tell you what his interpretation was of that story. All the while he is stringing, stringing that thread of a story concurrently through it but not just doing it linearly. And I love that. I cannot tell you how much I love this Miracle Man stuff that's coming out. Do you think that's why a writer like Brian Michael Bendis is so successful? I don't know if you've ever read any of his stuff. Yeah, I'm reading but, the X-Men stuff with Stewart. But he does uh, books where it's two people talking in a room yes. for 
22 pages. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's why he's so successful is people miss those character moments in books. <sighs> yes and no. Yeah. I will say I agree with you with the whole 22 pages of people talking when he was doing Alias. Mm-hmm. I can't say I agree with you when he's doing the X-Men. Mm. I don't read the X-Men. I read his Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, it's Spider-Man. <laughs> I haven't read his Spider-Man. But, yeah, I do agree that Bendis is more of a dialogue writer. Everything he does is pretty much out there in the dialogue, which, again, I think everything in comics is a balance. You really need to find that balance. And his balance, I think, tips a little more towards the dialogue. And I think it does get a little heavy because a lot of those X-Men and and Stuart Immerman is amazing. He, oh. In my opinion, he is the best ongoing comic artist He's being great. published right now. But a lot of those X-Men things are double pages. And I always thought a double page was an effect. That was something you did when something was important. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to see that somebody actually hit Galactus and he fell. That's a double page spread because that never happens. With um, X-Men, it's like every other page is a double page of them talking in the cafeteria. And you minimize the effect mm. of how that comes across. And I think that is probably the only criticism I would have of Bendis's work is the, the dialogue is too heavy and you're not really focusing on the effect, not the story, but the effect that comics can have on uh, when you're telling a particular story on the reader. Because, you know, as you're reading, you're turning that page. And, of course, if it's a double-page spread and you're on you know, again, to get clinical, you're reading page one and page two and page three. And then on page four, it's this big bang or whatever that is going to hit you subjectively because your mind is just putting it together. But that is an effect that only comics can actually do. And I, I, I think it's a shame that most writers sort of take that and just gloss over it and just give you that supposed effect the whole time. And, you know, it's like saying, uh, you know, it's like using profanity. I love to use profanity. I think profanity is great. <laughs> but when you use it all the time, you start to homogenize it. And saying certain words just don't have that effect when you say it 20 times as if when you said it that first time. <laughs> and I think that's very much the same as comics in, their, in the way they are structured. You're so funny. You're so right. If I, if I did have one criticism of Bendis, I don't think he does action scenes very well. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I, I read Catalyst, and I'm really excited because Galactus is coming, yeah. and he's eating New Jersey. Uh-huh. And I'm at the fourth issue. I'm like, oh, they're going to have a huge fight out in issue five. And then Galactus is just done. I'm like, right on. <laughs> There's a belch, and he walks. <laughs> I can't even tell what she's okay, saying. Okay, what? <laughs> she said 10 more minutes. Okay. <laughs> That's what I heard. So <laughs> is it exciting to work on superheroes now? Because um, you did, well, I guess Buffy's a superhero, but now, uh, now Without a costume. Like, Without yeah. a costume, yeah. Now you have, like, real big superheroes, and is it a surreal moment to draw? Did, did you draw Batman and things like uh, that? I haven't drawn Batman yet. I did do Batman Beyond, though. Um, oh, yeah. But it, it's, I feel it's like, a, in that case, I like to answer the actors that I know when asked, you know, do you like have a favorite part that you ever played? And, and um, most of them will say, you know, well, I'm an actor. I love to act. If you want me to act like I'm tall, I'll do that. If you want me to act like I'm small, I can do that. And with art, yeah, I just love to draw. So I love the fact that I was drawing Buffy for as long as I did. And now I love that I'm drawing superheroes because it is. It's such a shift and a change. And I loved Serenity because, yeah, I didn't think I was any good at, at space and ships and all that stuff. And I can walk away from that book going, hey, yeah, I'm really proud of what I did. I don't know if it's my forte, but I really enjoyed the stuff that I did do with it. That's so cool. So we can see you in Future's End. Future's End. 
Um, where else can we? Do you have anything else coming up? Like on the side, or is Future's End just so busy right now? I am in talks at DC to do some future projects, so Sweet. we'll see about that. And yeah, I don't think I can ever in my heart leave Buffy behind too much. I hope you don't. And thankfully, the editors uh, Scott Alley and um, uh, God, I'm, oh Freddie Linz, um, they really are nice people, and they they love what I do. So. They are constantly asking, so, you know, when, when do you think you want to come back? When do you think it'll be the, the something? And not necessarily for an ongoing, but for something special. And I'm, yeah. I'm like that. And my response is, as soon as Joss comes back, I'm right there with you. <laughs> you cool. let me know, and I'll draw that book that he just wrote. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll be out. You know, because they always, the nice thing about Buffy is that they also always did, like, those little offshoots. Like, they did the four-issue Willow series and stuff like that. that the which that one? Made it, the, the Willow series. Oh, right, right, right. Huh? Thing. There'll, there'll be some room for you. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah no, they've got a great James Marsters is writing a Spike uh, story. Yeah. And uh, Nicholas Brendan right now is on Buffy, writing his, uh, his version of, of uh, Xander doing what he does. So... They definitely have the enthusiasm, and it's still there. Anybody thinks, oh, well, now that you know, Joss left and now that George has left, there's no reason to read Buffy anymore. I, I question that because I, now that I left, actually, I can actually read the book, yeah. and I pick it up every week or every month. Yeah. Well, what they need to do is have Rebecca Isaacs do Faith. And then you do Buffy for a book, and it'll be like a versus book, plus the artists are, are versus I would each other. You know, I'll do you one better. I would love, and uh, I mean, obviously, I would never, this is Rebecca's book now. Mm. I would never come to say, well, whenever I want to come on and do my thing, I'm going to do my thing. You have to go out as well. <laughs> this is her, but I would basically say, Rebecca, would you mind if I came in and did some Buffy? But I would love, and I said this when I was doing, when she came on, uh, on Angel, I would love to draw an issue and have her ink it because I would love to see the two styles mesh and it would be so cool to have the two creators come in and do. And I would tell her, hey, I'll ink your stuff, but you are a way better inker than I am, so I don't want to ruin your pencils. <laughs> and I know you can only make mine look that much better. So, That's yeah, uh, Scott Alley, listen to me. Yes, Put Scott, these two. It'll do be it. Buffy versus Faith. Two artists, <laughs> worlds collide. Because we almost awesome. kind of did that when Frey came in to the um, to the book, but Carmeline uh, 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 was very nice. No, it's been so long since I've drawn Buffy. I want to do it all because I don't get to draw Buffy, obviously, and I draw Faith all the time. So he wanted to do the whole book, but there was talk of me doing the the parts where Buffy was there, hmm. and then him doing the parts where the, um, Frey was there. Interesting. That would have been cool too. Yeah, that yeah. would have been but really cool. We appreciate you giving us time every year not at George. all this is a great time and all as always time flies it does yeah. it does yeah. an hour goes by you need to go back to your table finish my green goblin sketch and i need to finish that <laughs> yeah. um, and funny enough as you've been talking i've se sort of seen your movie playing in the background uh -huh. and it had a shot of me and i'm wearing the same shirt in that shot are you really are you re oh That's my gosh oh wow. i need to really uh, up my wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can take a real nerd shirt if I you want tell. one. We'll give it to you. <laughs> well, not unless you're going to film me now. But uh, <laughs> it just showed me that last year I was wearing the same thing. I didn't, wow. even, I didn't even notice. <laughs> on Sunday, too. Uh, on a we Sunday. filmed it on Sunday. <laughs> yep. I need to rethink my thing here. <laughs> That's too funny. Thank you, George. We yeah, really appreciate so much, it. Oh, as this always. is always good. Thank you so much for listening to another exciting interview from Denver Comic-Con 2014. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. Visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, real underscore nerds. Until next year, bye. <laughs>